1: The angel, to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last and who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of a life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Hey, you can be seated. And let me just say thank you so much for the prayers and uh, taking time board just to honor us. Man, God's doing a good thing here in this church. God's on the move. And uh, I'm just excited to have you here today, excited to have you a part of what God is doing. And if you still need a place to get connected, let us know. In fact, use that connect card. Uh, so that you can get connected somewhere, somehow, because I just don't want you to miss out on what God is doing right here at at Rivers Church. We're excited for next Sunday, by the way. Candy Palooza is going to be a lot of fun. And so, man, if you just want to help and serve and and be a good host, because we we had a bunch of people come in, we want to make sure they have a great experience. And so we could use your help. Like Amy said, we could use your candy. And then, uh, man, I really want to encourage you to sign up to donate blood. That's just a simple, cool thing that we can do to help Humanity and to help our, our our hospitals in in the area. Well, hey, here we go. Week four of apocalypse. We're at the church in Smyrna, and uh, this is good. You know, and Jesus starts off with his typical intro. There's a pattern that Jesus has as you go through these seven messages to so the seven churches in Revelation, and he's always got an intro that is really connected to what that church specifically needs to hear, needs to be reminded of. And so in verse 8, Jesus says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. And this introduction, along with the other introductions, uh, are actually referring back to what John saw in the vision where John revealed, or Jesus revealed himself to John in chapter 1. And so this was an aspect of the vision in chapter 1, and Jesus is bringing it in again, saying, okay, remember, this is who I am. And I got a message for you, Smyrna. And so then verse 9, let's go on and see what Jesus has to say to Smyrna. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Okay, so let's ask you to stop right there. Let's talk about verse number 9. So the Christians in Smyrna were facing much persecution, and it wasn't coming just from the Roman Empire. It actually was also coming from the Jews. The Jews, a lot of Jews in that day had actually compromised and kind of made buddies with the, uh, the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire didn't have a problem necessarily with the Jewish religion, but they all did with Christianity, and so the Jews would actually gather at the synagogue to conspire, to develop lies, and figure out ways they could attack the Christians, and so that's why Jesus is saying it's a synagogue of Satan because they're gathered at a synagogue, a place you should be worshiping God, like looking to God and thanking God for all that he's done. And they're gathering to conspire against other Christians. And so they're saying, Jesus is saying, this is a synagogue of Satan. They are giving into the influence of the satanic, divisive ways, uh, evil ways of, of Satan. And, and they're, they're basically being his pawns in, and um, persecuting the Christians. And so, in those, day, in those days, the Roman Empire ruled all that whole region, you know, and they wanted everyone to declare Caesar as Lord, but the Christians wouldn't. They declared Jesus as Lord, and so they faced persecution from the Romans, but now they're getting it from the Jews in Smyrna. And so it's, all, it's a full-on attack, and because of it, the people in Smyrna, the believers, are actually losing their jobs, And if they have their own business, they're trying to sell goods, people aren't buying from them because they're Christians. And so Jesus is sending them a message, and he says, I see what you're going through, Smyrna. I know what you're going through. You are facing persecution and poverty because you're not able to make money. Now, right after that, though, he reminds them of an important truth. He says, but don't forget this. You are rich. You are rich. And this is a good reminder for all of us. You are rich. You may not feel like you have enough, but if you got Jesus, you have more than enough. Can I just say that? If you know Jesus, you're in relationship with him, you are rich. So the Christians in Smyrna, they're losing stuff. They're losing things. They're losing jobs, losing money. They're struggling, but they have Jesus. So the truth is they have everything they need because when we have Jesus, he is all that we need. And I love this this phrase. It says Jesus plus nothing equals Everything, because he is everything that you and I could ever need or want in life. I'll never forget the first time I went on a missions trip to a third world country. And anybody ever been on a missions trip before? Yeah, amazing experiences, aren't they? So this is my first one to a third world country. I went to El Salvador. I've since been back many, many times. But my first trip had a profound impact on me, which is why I kept going back. Part of why I uh, kept going back there. But I remember they partnered us up with local El Salvadorians, and they had this ministry that we were traveling around. We were doing street evangelism, and we're going into schools and, and doing ministry to schools and all these kids and teenagers, and this was an amazing experience. And as we're traveling around on this old, beat-up bus all over the, the countryside of El Salvador, I'm just bonding with the people on our team. We're having lots of fun. And a lot of the leaders who are El Salvadorians, they actually knew some English, at least broken English, or a little bit of English so we could communicate and so we could develop relationships. So through the week, I'm getting to know these people, just having fun, we're bonding. And I'll never forget, at the end of the week, I went to one of the leader's homes, and I just was awestruck at my at what I saw because his home was small, and he had dirt floors, and I'm looking around, and I'm saying, like, what he has compared to what I have, it's like it's like Nothing compared to what I have. And I've been doing ministry with this guy. Here's people that are leading revival in their country. They're leaders for the church and for the kingdom. And they are so full of the joy of the Lord, the strength of the Lord. And I saw what they had possession-wise, and it wasn't much. And it was a profound lesson in what does it really mean to be rich? Because that they were rich. What they have compared to most of us is hardly anything but they are rich because rich is not about material possessions it is not about money it is a state of spiritual being it is an attitude of the heart that's what it means to be rich because when i have jesus i am rich when you can be rich in so many ways too because of jesus like he's blessing you in relationships you got good relationships you got a good family you're loving each other that's being rich in life Your kids are following and serving Jesus. That's an aspect of being rich in life. To be rich is knowing that no matter what I go through, Jesus is with me. He's got me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. I am rich because of Jesus. And on top of all of that, as a child of God, everything that he has is mine. You and I have an inheritance from God of everything that he has. Did you know that? And I just pray that you and I would walk in that inheritance. And that, friends, is it's a spiritual thing. It's an authority. It's an, a joy. And it doesn't always change your outside circumstances, but it changes us on the inside. And we are rich as people of God. And so it's important we have this mindset, no matter what we go through in life. And can I just say that the way we endure hardship is more important than what hardship we endure. The way we endure hardship, way more important than... What that hardship is, because the truth is, we're all going to face hardship. It's going to happen. It's a part of life. Think about these believers here in Smyrna. They're going through some hardships, and Jesus is saying, hey, don't forget, you are rich. Keep the faith. Keep going. I, I, I'm with you. And the same is true for us. It's just part of life, isn't it? Like hardships, trials, tribulations. They, life happens to all of us, and I pray that you and I would have this attitude of, of joy and, and, and gratitude and thankfulness no matter what we go through. It's, that's why I love Paul. Paul talking about everything he went through and the attitude that he still had. Listen to this. This is what Paul says. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, prison, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet not making yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. How's that an attitude to have no matter what you go through? I just love Paul speaking that and reminding us that no matter what we go through, we are rich, right? So as we go through things in life, Paul was one of those guys that like, he went through stuff. Like He just listed out some of the specific things he went through. He went through some tough, tough seasons, and he's still saying, I can make it. I'm going to be okay. In fact, elsewhere he says this. He says in Romans 8, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's a great reminder to you and I today. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror, no matter what you go through. And what that means is through him who loves you, and it's important that we remember no matter what, God loves us. And he is good. That's who he is. And in the midst of that, you can be more than a conqueror, which means you're not going to just survive in life, you can thrive in life because of He who is alive and at work in you. It means that you aren't just victorious, but you can be overwhelmingly victorious because you are more than a conqueror through Him who loves you. Some of you need to receive this here today, okay? So the way we endure hardship is more important than what hardship we endure. All right, let's go to verse 10 some good stuff in this little letter to Smyrna, which it's so short we could actually call it a postcard. It's really what it is. Jesus sent a postcard to Smyrna. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, which was not a literal 10-day period, but really was a, a phrase speaking to it's going to be temporary. It's going to last for a little while, but not forever. And Jesus goes on to say, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Okay, so verse 10. Wow, there's a lot in verse 10. Now, of the seven churches that receive a message from Jesus, only two of them are not rebuked. Smyrna is one of them. But after receiving the message that Jesus gives them, They were probably thinking, Jesus, we'd have rather had a rebuke than what you just told us, because this, like, okay, this doesn't sound too great to us. Because basically, Jesus is saying, hey, I see what you're going through. I know what you're experiencing. Aren't you glad that God knows? Aren't you glad that he sees? I think this is why, in the vision, John sees Jesus among the lampstands. He's there. He's in the midst of all of this. And there he is again, he's, he is there and he says, I know, I know what you're going through. And I'm sure that the believers in Smyrna, as they're reading this letter from the first time, are thinking, oh yes, but here comes the good part. Jesus is going to come and he's going to rescue us and he's going to save the day and everything's going to be good. But what does he say? He says, it's going to get worse for you. Just want to give you a heads up. Some of you going to get arrested. Some of you are even going to lose your life. You're going to die because of your faith. But just be faithful. Be strong. Okay, so that's, that's his message to the church in Smyrna. I'm sure they're thinking, like, where's that happiness and joy thing, Jesus? Like, why aren't you like our Savior coming to save us and, and rescue us? Jesus, you talk about abundant life. I'm ready for that abundant life thing right about now, okay? Can you kick that into my life right now? I want some abundance. Instead, Jesus says, more persecution coming, it's going to get worse. That's the message to Smyrna. (laughs) You know, sometimes we can feel like that's happening to us, where we can go through some tough things in life. And and I think that's why a lot of people nowadays, I met with two friends this week that this last year and a half has just kind of just beat them up. But a lot of us feel that way. Just there's been so much emotions, and it's just just wearing on us so many things. and, And we all face hardships. We go through things in life, and we can get discouraged. Maybe you've seen people where they face something hard and tragic, and they just turn their back on God because of it. Like, this isn't worth it. And for whatever reason, maybe they... Decided God must not exist because he allowed this to happen. There's a lot of people that come to that conclusion. There's no way a good God exists because of this happening in my life. Other people are like, I still think you exist, God, but I want nothing to do with you, okay? Because why on earth are you allowing me to go through this? Like, you don't even care about me. Here's the finger. I'm going to do my own thing kind of a thing, right? We just kind of go our own way. And to be fair, you know, it can be very discouraging when you face hardship after hardship. Very discouraging. There's a proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you're hoping for something and hoping for something and doesn't happen, and you're still hoping for something and doesn't happen, it just hurts us, right? It hurts our heart. It can discourage us. And so it's important that we, even in those times, look to Jesus because he is still good. He still loves, even if I don't feel it. Jesus can still, in the midst of all of that, like we sang earlier, a few moments ago, he can give us peace. And that peace that he gives you may not change the outward circumstances, but it might change you. It might help you. It might might be the strength that you need. And, And when he does that, it's a confirmation that he's real. He is present. He is with me. He is helping me. He still loves me. I sure wish he would fix this situation, but I know he loves me and he's given me a peace. I can sense him in this. And so it's important that we understand that Jesus is real or he isn't real, and it isn't dependent upon our circumstances in life. And sometimes we go through things in life, and then that shapes our theology and our belief in God. Like, because this happened, that must mean God doesn't exist. Well, the truth is, God either exists or he doesn't, and that supersedes my life experiences. What happens to me in my life, what happens to you in your life, does not determine the existence of God. And isn't it amazing how we go there? Because this happened to me, therefore, an almighty creator does not exist. But we can go there because we're hurting, we're discouraged, our emotions are getting the best of us and pulling the worst out of us. And so we gotta understand God is bigger than our circumstances. He supersedes our, our, our circumstances. And just because he doesn't answer the prayer the way we expected him to or the way we wanted him to does not mean he doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean he doesn't care and he isn't good. So as we go through stuff, we gotta to look to Jesus. Keep the faith. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. And remember this, no matter what, you are rich. But your faith is not always going to bring you health and wealth. Okay, faith can bring health and wealth. I believe it can, but it also can bring persecution and poverty. And this didn't get any amens in the first service either. But it's kind of listening to that process like, what? Faith can bring health and wealth, but it can also bring persecution and poverty. That's the message we learned to the church in Smyrna. Now, I don't believe in the extreme prosperity gospel because it's not biblical. It doesn't apply to all people in all places. Just ask the Smyrna's, Just ask the persecuted church around the world today. But I do believe that there is a prosperity that God has for all of us. We can be rich, like Jesus is saying, on the inside. Okay, so faith can bring, though, health and wealth to us. We see healings. We see provision. We see God hook people up with incredible jobs. We see all of that. But it also can bring persecution and poverty. There are people today that are saying yes to Jesus for the first time in their life, and they know it could cost them their life. And they're living out what was taking place in Smyrna way back in the day. Hmm. Faith can bring health and wealth, but it sometimes brings poverty and persecution. This is why Jesus is saying to them, right there in verse 10, don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. Be faithful Be faithful, even unto unto death, and you'll receive the crown of life. Now, that crown of life is not a a crown of royalty, but it's a victor's crown. That's what it's referring to. That's what it means. It's a crown of victory. And you see those victor's crown in Roman, even Greek culture, on the statues and the paintings from back in the day, those those kind of wreath things they put on there, that's a victor's crown crown That's what it's referring to. You stay faithful to the end, and you're going to get that victor's crown right there. And this is what people would get back then if they, if they won a race. Uh, has anybody ever ran a marathon before or ran a race here? Anybody ever ran a, any of those? Okay, some races, marathons. Like I, I always give props to people who run marathons. I think that's super legit and super cool. I don't even enjoy running. That's why I've never done a marathon. Um, I thought about it a couple of times in my life, but it lasted about five seconds because I was like, that doesn't sound fun. So someday maybe I will when I get older just to prove that I'm trying to still be young, and I, uh, but maybe it'll be more like God's going to have to speak to me probably. Uh, but I did I didn't run track back in high school. I ran the 400 and the 110 high hurdles, and whenever I finished that race, it felt good. And if I won, it felt really good. I can't even imagine what it would feel like after running 26.2 miles of a marathon. That would feel pretty good, right? How many would feel pretty accomplished with your life if you actually completed 26.2 miles of a marathon? That, that would be, feel amazing. It doesn't matter if you won. Your body's probably hurting in places you never knew existed, but you're excited on the inside. Like, yeah, I made it. You would Just imagine that feeling and multiply that by like a million, a million. Like in the end, when you make it and you receive that victor's crown, that crown of life. That's going to feel so good, so amazing. And so Jesus is saying, no matter what you go through, as you go through hardship, endure. Endure because there is a crown coming your way. There is a blessing. There is a reward coming your way. Hmm. Crown of life. I think that the Christian life is like a marathon. In fact, you see that even in scripture where they liken it to marathon, training yourself. This is one of those things you just got to keep going. Sometimes it's day by day. Just I got to do the best I can today. But let me encourage you, no matter what you face, no matter what you do face in the future, keep going. Endure. Don't give up. Keep the faith. Do not quit. I'm I'm here to tell you that the cost of quitting is greater than the effort of enduring. There's a cost either way. What do you want to pay? We can quit. We can throw in the towel, but that cost is going to be so much worse than the cost of, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to have effort, effort today. I'm going to just put in the best effort that I can, and I'm going to endure. I'm going to move forward again today. So I'm here to encourage you. Don't quit. Endure. Now, that Greek word, for crown of life is the word Stephanos, and it is the exact word that is used in the Gospels for the crown of thorns that they placed on Jesus' head. Kind of fascinating. So they placed that crown of thorns on Jesus, and they did it brutally, like everything Jesus did going up to the cross. just brutal, but they did it in a brutal fashion, and it was really a mockery to Jesus. Oh, you think you're a king, huh? Okay, here's your crown. And they just were trying to shame him and mock him in that little did they know it was a crown, of victory, because Jesus went through the cross. He endured his hardship of doing the work through the cross, and he rose from the dead on the other side of it, and he rose victorious. They thought it was a crown to shame him, and to mock him, but it really was a foreshadowing of a victor's crown that Jesus took on for you and I, so that someday you're going to feel like, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can endure. I don't know if I can keep going on, but you remember what Jesus did for you on the cross, and he didn't quit. He endured the cross. I love what the author of Hebrews said. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and so Jesus For you, you're the joy, by the way, that was on the other side of the cross. He endured the cross, scorned the shame of the cross, and and, and so he he knows that you can count on him. You You need to know you can count on him now because of what Jesus did on the cross, all right? Endure. Don't quit. Don't quit. love what John said elsewhere in 1 John. He says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Don't forget that. The spirit who lives inside of you as a believer in Jesus, the spirit who lives inside of you is greater than the spirit of this world. He is greater. You can be uh, victorious. You can be an overcomer. So enduring hardship and persecution is the reason that Jesus is sending this message, this postcard to to Smyrna. And he started off by saying, hey, this is who I am. I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who was dead, but I'm alive again. And again, that's a reference back to the the initial vision, but Jesus wanted them to know, no matter what you go through, I existed before that and I exist after that. I'm going to be there for you through it all. Hey, I was dead. Yeah, that happened, but I conquered death. I can conquer even death, which means whatever you're going through, I'm bigger than that. It was a very specific, specific message of encouragement so that they would know that they could endure what they were about ready to endure because of who he is. Hmm. So the way that we endure hardship is more important than, the, than what hardship we endure. Jesus says, in verse 10 there, be faithful even to the point of death. So keep in mind that this was a letter written to the persecuted church. Smyrna was a persecuted church. For us, it's hard to fathom real persecution because we can, we're just very blessed where we live. And, and truth is, we do go through hardships. The enemy wants to attack attack any believer. He wants to take us out. You and I will suffer hardships and, and tragedy and different things, but when it comes to like extreme persecution, that's hard for us to fathom. But I think there's some things that we can learn from the persecuted church, and I think there's some things we need to pull out of this letter and this message for us as Christians today in the culture that we live in. You see, throughout the centuries, not just in that first and second century, but throughout the centuries, Christians have faced persecution. And it's still happening a lot today. In fact, let me just go ahead and share with you what's going on in the world right now with the persecuted church. It's said that there are over 300 million Christians who live in a place today where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. So that means that one in eight out of every Christian in the world, suffers from severe persecution. One in eight. This is taking place in 145 countries around the world. Now, just in the last year, recent statistics tell us, last year, 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. I can honestly say that Christian persecution is one of the biggest human rights issues in our world today. They said of all the persecution that takes place around the world, more than 75% of it is towards Christians. So I say all this to say... I think there's a couple things that we can learn from this message to Smyrna. And number one is let me encourage us to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Let's pray for them. There are people that know they could lose their life just by showing up to a gathering like this in at least 145 countries around the world. Let's pray for them. Number two, let's learn from them as well. Because I think we can learn from them as a a perspective. It's this eternal perspective of being kingdom-minded. We can be so self-absorbed with our life and what's going on that we forget what really, really matters in the scope of eternity in God's kingdom. What can we learn from the persecuted church? And I want you to watch this video right now. And you're going to hear a message, several messages from some people Believers in Iran who are experiencing tremendous persecution right now as we are sitting in this room. And it's said that the church in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Yeah, just listen to the message that they have for us here.
2: persecution keeps you clean in the sense that when you're under a persecuted state you're constantly leaning into God you're constantly running to him as your refuge.
3: When I look at the witness of scripture and I look at the witness of Christian history what I see is that whenever ease and affluence and power is given to the church it seems to disease and it does all kinds of damage. Um, Not only does it introduce the kind of motivational corruption uh, that just diseases the church, but it just seems to produce lethargy and indifference.
2: It's through this pressure, hardship, and suffering that people are coming to Jesus. I'd rather them suffer and be under pressure and be under an authoritative dictatorship, and millions come to Jesus, and maybe even the whole country can come to Jesus, then freedom, openness, and democracy,
3: and half those people come to Jesus. What's in front of persecuted Christians frequently is what the gospel is all about. And what's in front of affluent Christians in a free society is, a, is not only that, but a whole range of options for life, and for time, and for use of money. And that is a dangerous thing. In Revelation, the only
2: church that was not critiqued by Jesus was the first church. And the first church is the only church that was truly under suffering and persecution the whole time i rather see millions of people come to jesus than have freedom i rather see millions of people come to jesus than democracy we're playing for eternity here this is not something temporal like okay they're free to not wear a headscarf, they're free to choose their elected officials. If freedom was such a great thing for the kingdom, then why is America and Europe in the state it is now?
1: What's happening in Iran right now is they're experiencing God as being all sufficient in his ability to deliver people, not necessarily out of their circumstances but in their soul find deliverance and life that goes far beyond having a nice life here on this earth, but a hope for something that lasts for eternity. And to me, that's the difference. The church in the West is living for how can we make this life the best possible life? And the church in Iran is saying, forget this life. I'm living for the next.
0: Well, it's amazing what we can learn from brothers and sisters in other countries based upon their life experiences and what they're going through, and we can thank God for our democracy and our freedom and for people that fight for that, have fought for that, but then you hear them and you're like, man, yeah, you're right, because they're in the picture of eternity. There is something that is a little bit more important, and that is, are we living for Jesus? Are people living for Jesus? Do they know Jesus? And I pray that this would encourage us just to be stronger in our faith for Jesus, more bold in our walk with Him, and to really, really pray about what does it look like for me to live this kingdom first life? What does it look like? Because we're creatures of comfort. We love to just kind of slip away into comfort and be comfortable. Um, but. As the Spirit speaks to us today, he might be calling some of us out of that life of comfort to do something for him and for his kingdom that's going to impact other people's lives. And in the end, in eternity, that's all that matters. At the time that this letter was being sent to the seven churches in modern-day Turkey, it was Asia Minor at the time, there was a bishop in the church of Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. Maybe you've heard of Polycarp before. He's famous in history as one of the famous martyrs, Christian history. So Polycarp would have been the one receiving this letter, this message, this letter of revelation and delivering this to the church in Smyrna. He was actually discipled by John himself. So John had discipled him, mentored him and commissioned him as the bishop of Smyrna. And so... Polycarp would have to endure the hardship and the persecution and all the poverty that they're all facing. And, and he actually lived quite a bit longer, several more decades. And he was a bishop, was a leader. He actually wrote a, tr- a letter to the church in Philippi, just like uh, Paul did. He did the same thing. He was just a leader in the church in, that, in the end of that second century. But in the end, he ended up losing his life for his faith. And it said, according to history, That Polycarp had a vision of being burned alive, and so he told his friends, I I think God is is saying, this is how I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to be burned at the stake. Shortly after that, some Roman officials came to arrest him. He could have escaped. He could have ran, but he told the people inside the house, God's will be done went and invited those guys into his house. He says, hey, guys, come on in. Let's have some food. Let's sit down and eat together. And they prepared food and drink. And he sat down and had a meal with them. And he says, hey, before we go, can I, can I go and pray for an hour? Would that be OK if I pray for an hour? And so the guys said, OK, go ahead and pray for an hour. And that one hour led to two hours. And I guess he just was fervently just seeking God and just praying. And, and the power of God was so present as he was praying in that house that it said that the Roman officials repented of their sins, and they started feeling guilty, like, how can we arrest this old godly guy? Nonetheless, they still did because it was their job. It was their duty. So even though they felt guilty about it, they took him and they arrested him. And then Polycarp eventually was, this is like a very short, condensed version of the whole story. You can read about it. It's, it's fascinating. They brought him into this coliseum as people realized they're going to execute Polycarp. Everybody knows who Polycarp is. The the crowd is going wild. It's loud. And it said that all the believers, Polycarp and all the believers that were there heard a voice from heaven over the crowd. And they heard clearly these words, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. I just love that. Be strong and play the man. And I love that, especially to us men in the room. Can I just say, be strong, men. Be strong. Play the man. Come on, be the man that God has destined you to be and be strong. So that was heard from heaven over all the other noise in the crowd. And then the proconsul asked Polycarp, hey, swear by the genius of Caesar and I'll let you go. And Polycarp just remained silent, just stood there and stayed his ground. And then the guy said again, Hey, swear and I will release you. Renounce Christ. And this is where Polycarp famously had this response. He said, Eighty and six years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Then they began to prep the fire to burn him at the stake, realizing Polycarp's not backing down. This all happened, by the way, in Smyrna, Polycarp was born in Smyrna, became the the head of the church in Smyrna, and is being executed now years later in Smyrna. They're preparing the fire, and they're going to nail him to the stake, which is what they always did when they executed people, but Polycarp turned to them and he said, no, 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 just tie me. You don't need to nail me, for he who gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. So they just tied him up. And... As they left him there and the fire began to build and consume him, he prayed one last prayer. It's a long prayer, but I'll do a short version. Basically, he said, "Oh Lord God Almighty, I give thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life. The flames began to engulf him. And what happened next was fascinated everybody in the crowd because Polycarp was not affected by the fire whatsoever. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel in the, in the Old Testament, Polycarp also was fireproof. It wasn't affecting. It wasn't consuming him at all. In fact, instead of the smell of burning flesh, everybody in the Colosseum said they could smell the scent of frankincense. It just filled the place. God was doing something supernaturally in this moment. So the executioners are watching this. They're smelling. This is not normal. Is a part of the executions. And so they realized this guy's not gonna die. And so they took a spear and they just drove it into his body. And that's actually what killed Polycarp. And Polycarp did exactly what his pastor, Pastor John, had told him to do through the message of Jesus decades before he had received what we now know as Revelations chapter two, verse 10. Be faithful even to the point of death many Christians like Polycarp lived that for reals I'd say Polycarp also did the whole like be strong Polycarp and play the man he did that as well which is pretty cool be faithful even unto death here's the deal guys we're all gonna die and we don't like to think about that, but so far it's the death rate's 100%, right? It's gonna happen to all of us. And some people would say, how could a good loving God allow his children to die like that? But again, that doesn't change who God is and we gotta trust him. And it's amazing. Later on, one of the, the people who was experiencing those things and actually knew Polycarp would say, hey, the the... Blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Isn't it amazing how the church grows tremendously when persecuted? It's just fascinating to see how God uses that. When God uses those moments for his glory. We just trust him no matter what. So no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, I want to encourage us. Endure. Be faithful. Because in the end, there's a crown for you. There's a reward for you. And I just want you to be blessed. I just want you to receive your reward. Remember this whole letter of Revelation, verse 3, chapter 1 starts off, you're going to be blessed. If you hear it, you read it, and you obey it. And so I just pray that we would hear, read, and obey what God says to us because there's a blessing that comes our way. And in the end, there's a reward. And so then this message to Smyrna ends. Last verse, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can we just pause right there? Would you just close your eyes? I want to encourage you to hear what the Spirit would say to you today. Maybe He's already been speaking to you. Maybe there's some words that He's already given you that you needed today. Maybe those are going to come in a few moments, but just... Open your heart right now to hear what the Spirit would say, and I pray that your ears would be open spiritually to what He would say to you. Sometimes when He speaks to us, we have to respond. You might need to change some things. You might need to repent of some things in your life. You might need to change your ways. You might need to reprioritize a few things. You might need to let go of some things you've been trying to control, but you need to surrender those to Jesus and trust Him right now because the Spirit of God is going to speak to you. Whatever He says to you, I would encourage you, say yes because, my friends, it is always worth it. Always. Because as we walk in obedience to what Jesus says to us, what His Spirit speaks to us, there is... Always, a, there's a joy, there's a freedom that we get to experience because of that obedience. I pray that the Spirit would speak to us. I'll give you ears to hear. Amen? Amen, you can open your eyes. Let's look at that last sentence. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? It's the eternal death in the lake of fire. You can read about it in Revelation 20 in 21 it's referenced three times there and we'll get there eventually in this revelation series but that's that's a death that you can't avoid. We can't avoid the first death. It's going to happen. But you can't avoid the second death, that eternal spiritual forever death. You can't avoid that by just saying yes to Jesus and staying faithful to him. So it says, "He who overcomes will be saved from that. Will be spared from that." How do you overcome? How do you be an overcomer? You simply don't quit. You endure. Verse 10 tells us, stay faithful, be faithful, and in the end, you'll receive that crown of life. That's how you're an overcomer. You just continue to be faithful, even unto death. Come what may, you stay faithful to Jesus. So you face hardships, be faithful. Remember, the way we endure hardships is more important than what hardship we endure. Amen. Just stand to your feet, I want to pray for you. If you're online, I want to pray for you as well. and pray that you've received this. Hey, friends, I believe that our city is poised for revival right now. There is hardships that are happening now that are just kind of pressing in on us, squeezing us. It's happening. Everybody is feeling it. And I'm believing that God's going to bring good out of this. Even though we're experiencing things that we don't want to experience, that we don't want to go through, God promises to always bring good as we put our faith and we trust in Him and we endure. He can bring good, and I believe that we're poised for revival. And God wants to use you to be a light. I'm praying that your fire and your light will shine brighter than ever, even as you endure hardship. In fact, think about this people watch how you and I live our life. And as we endure hardship differently than other people, they take notice. And that becomes part of our testimony that declares to people that God's alive, that He is real. I'm watching how you're dealing with this, and it's like, something's different about you. What's the deal? And you're like, I'm struggling, but God inside of me, He's alive and He is helping me. Let me tell you about it. And it's a testimony to people as they watch us. They will watch us endure hardship. So be faithful and be strong because God is alive in you and working in you. I want to pray that he does that for you now and for the rest of your life. Would you join me in prayer right now, Lord? I'm praying for all of my friends right here, Lord. I pray that they would be faithful, faithful to you up until their last breath, no matter what happens. That they be faithful. And for those that are going through hardships right now and struggles and trials, they're being tested and some tough ways. Lord, I pray that there would be a strength that would supernaturally rise up inside of them, that there would be a peace that doesn't make sense, that is beyond understanding, that would fill them right now, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Let faith rise up. Faith. That they can be faithful as they walk through this. Full of faith. Lord, even as We have future hardships. Lord, we're not going to be surprised because it's part of life, but we're going to lean into you. We're going to look to you. And we're going to endure. We're going to stay strong. And we're going to trust in you. Lord, I pray that over all my friends right now. In Jesus' name. Strength. Strength. The almighty God is alive and he is at work within you. He sees. He knows. He is with you. He cares. Right now, Jesus, by your spirit. Maybe you're here and you need to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you as you make this decision just to put your trust in him. For those that are here that need to say yes to you, Jesus, Lord, I just pray as they hear your spirit speaking to them, You're giving them an ear to hear right now, spiritually. They need to put their trust in you. They're hoping you, Lord. They've been trying it their own way and their own strength, doing their own thing, maybe even rebelling against you, uh, intentionally, unintentionally, but Lord, I I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. That your love and your grace change their life right now. Make them a new person, a new creation right now as they come to you, as they ask for forgiveness, they repent, they turn to you, they put their trust in you. Change them from the inside out, I pray right now in Jesus' mighty name.